Good morning. And God's been good this morning, hasn't he? He has really been incredible this morning. Um, again, Michael said, my name is Eric Smith. I'm a Connect Group leader here at Connection Church Pooler. Um, so grateful to be here before you. So grateful that you're here. I just want to welcome you just like Michael did. And, you know, for all the new faces, I just really want to extend a warm welcome to you and just tell you I'm so glad you're here this morning. And for those of you that are coming back, I'm, it's good to see family. You know, and we hope that this place is becoming home to you, um, that this is that place where you can set up shop and bring your family in and, you know, or yourself and just realize that we love you and that you are part of the family and we are so glad of that. Um, but I'm excited about this morning, excited about what God's about to do. Um, so let's pray real quick and then we'll get into it if that's all right. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for what you've done already this morning, Lord. We just thank you that we had the opportunity to come before you and just have our hearts softened as we praise your name, as we worship you, Lord. And I pray that the heavens heard our worship. Lord, that as the angels looked down and watched your children just praising your name, Lord, that they could hear our hearts, that they could hear our desire to just pronounce to this world that you are God above all. And Lord, that we are so thankful for what you've done and so what, we're so thankful for what you're going to do and Lord, what you're about to do in these next few moments. Lord, we pray that you would just be in this moment with us, Lord. I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross. Lord, that the only thing that comes from this moment is Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. Lord, we just look forward to what you're about to do, Lord. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear as we step into your word, Lord, as it pulls us in the direction you would have us to go, Lord. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to bless this time. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray, amen. All right. Has any of y'all ever been around that person that uh, has a bunch of sayings? You know, there's just guys saying for everything. Uh, I knew a guy, we used to kind of keep a clicker on him because no matter what, if he talked for any extended amount of time, he was going to drop a few of those good old sayings on you. Um, you know, but those sayings are cool. They get passed down from generation to generation. You, you hear the people you keep, you hear them say it, and you, next thing you know, you're saying it, or maybe your mom or your dad or your grandpa said this. But the truth is, in a saying, that there's a little bit of wisdom in each one of them, right? But they're kind of, that wisdom's kind of hid in some clever, thought-provoking way of saying it. And so it kind of pushes us to think just a little bit deeper than what's being heard, and therefore we kind of hold on to it. We kind of keep it, and that's the way it kind of gets passed down from generation to generation, right? So I'm going to see if you know some of them. We'll just go over a few. You can finish it. I'll start it. You finish it. A bird in the hand. We're two in the bush. Good. We're on a good track. So when the going gets tough, tough gets going, right? It's about perseverance. It's about digging in. It's that grit. This one might be a little harder. I like to use this one a lot. Close only counts in. All right, I'm not the only one. I love it. I use that one a lot. All right. If you want the rainbow, anybody? You got to put up with the rain. That's Dolly Parton, who I love. And so this next one, everybody's going to get. This one's easy. Life is like a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get. Thank you, Forrest Gump. Right? But, but there's something to that, that, you know, you remember these things. You hold on to them. There's something that's powerful in realizing what a saying is and holding on to what that wisdom is and what it gives us. And, uh, you know, the Bible's real clear about wisdom and how we should seek wisdom, how we should ask for wisdom, how we should pray for wisdom, how we should surround ourselves with wise people 
so that their wise counsel will help us, so that we can learn from their experiences, so that they can pour into us, and we don't have to learn everything or gain all of our wisdom through our experiences, because that's the other way wisdom comes, right? It's through our experiences and what we know um, in our lives, but the other way is someone pouring into us. And so if you've been kind of reading along in the uh, 412 reading plan, that's what we see here, because we're in the, the letters from Paul to Timothy, Uh, And so you know the relationship that Paul and Timothy have, hopefully, and how Paul viewed Timothy. He had a confidence in Timothy. He had a desire to pour into Timothy. He walked with Timothy for a long time from his early ages all the way up. And, uh, And as he referred to Timothy, it was his son in the faith. So Paul had an affection for Timothy that was really strong. And so he would always try to teach and pour and disciple Timothy. And so that's what we get to see in his letters, is that Paul is just pouring in to Timothy again. He's trying to help encourage him, help strengthen him, to understand strong, even though he's young, uh, to hold on to what he had learned, what he had seen, what he experienced, and, and to not get pushed around by someone just because they were older than them or older than him. And so we, we get to see this in, in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, and, and that's where we're gonna, we're gonna be at. We're gonna look as Paul kind of imparted this wisdom to Timothy, he would occasionally go, this is a trustworthy saying. And so he did this five times. Four of the times he did it in the two letters to Timothy and one time to Titus. And so he's emphasizing what he's telling them as something that they need to hold on to, something that deserves full acceptance, as we're going to see, something that needs to go not only into your mind but into your heart, and you need to hold on to it. This is a trustworthy saying. And so as we read, let's look at, at what Timothy said, or what Paul says to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so one thing we do know about Paul from his letters is Paul didn't mix words. He didn't say things on accident. He didn't just put something in there for fluff to just kind of be a filler. We know that about Paul. If he said something, it was intentional. He meant it. And we also know that as he's imparting this bit of wisdom and defining it as a trustworthy saying full of acceptance, then it's something that not only Timothy needs to hold on to, but maybe something that we need to hold on to as well. Because there's a lot going on in those verses. And we see a lot about Paul and the way Paul viewed himself in terms of Christ, right? He didn't take the time to go, well, you know, I'm kind of a bad person, or I wasn't that great of a person. I mean, he laid it out there. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, 
I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, one of the things we know about Paul is he was never afraid to own his sin. He never had a problem owning his sin. He never had a problem telling you everything about his sin. He had no problems with telling you about his life. In Galatians 1.11, he says, For have you heard of my previous ways of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it? In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He refers to himself in some other verses as the least of the saints. In Romans 7, we have him just going through all of the things that he wishes he would do but couldn't and all the things that he does do but he wishes that he would not. He kept his sin before him. He kept his sin before everyone. He was transparent. He didn't pretend that I'm Paul. I'm the missionary to the world. I'm the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. Look at what Christ is doing to me. It was always, look at my sin. He was always keeping that before people. He never ran from it. He owned it. And the other thing he was never afraid to do was he was never afraid to remind those he was leading of their sin. Paul was the guy that came to the party and told you all the bad stuff that happened last year at that party, so you better be careful. He was the one that would remind you of your sin. Hey, this didn't go good last time, remember that? This ain't going well, don't do that. You know, he had no problems with calling people idolaters. He had no problems with telling them that they were sinful in their lustful desires, that they were sexual immoralitors, that they were deviants. He had no problem with laying that out for people to try to help them to understand because he wanted them to own their sin. He saw value in owning his sin. And you heard it in this. He says, I am the worst. In some translations, it calls him the chief of sinners, which just means he's the first. He's out in front. He's the lead one. And so from his sinfulness and God's forgiveness, it was an example for all to follow. But regardless, he owned it. And he let Timothy know, this is a trustworthy saying. Of all the sinners, I am the worst. I'm the chief. It doesn't get any worse than me. And the truth is, that's fairly accurate. Because until we can say we persecuted the church, we're going to fall a little short of what Paul did. But yeah, he was reminding these people to own their sin. Why? Because they're a lot like us. They want to keep their sin at bay. They had heard the gospel message. They knew that they were sinners. They had no problem admitting that. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I had no problem with that. Absolutely. But they keep it at bay. They knew their sin. They knew their deviance. They knew their sexual immorality. They knew the things that were going on in their heart. They knew the darkness that was in their heart and the depths of what they were capable of. They just wouldn't own it. And so Paul was willing to lay this example out for them. It was like the elephant in the room, right? We know it's standing there. We know it's there. We just don't ever talk about it. Because if I talk about it, then I have to deal with it. And if I have to deal with it, then I have to own it. And if I have to own it, maybe somebody will find out about it. And I don't want that because what will they think? Or maybe God will find out about it, right? Because we don't want that like he doesn't know already. What if God finds out the depths of my sin? But that's how we are. It's how we deal with our sin. We kind of keep it at bay. Because here, anybody here ever lied? Raise your hand if you've ever lied. Virtually all of us, right? You have no problem admitting that. 
But if I call you a liar, you're offended. I am. I get, whoa. Yeah, you don't know me, right? But by definition, didn't we just admit we're liars? We just admitted it. If I've ever lied, I'm a liar. But that was the way people deal with it. That's what we want to do. Hey, yeah, I know. I'm forgiven of my sins. God is good. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. He saved me from my sin. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just leave it there. But Paul had something more he was trying to put across to Timothy. You have to own this. You have to own this sin. You have to hold on to it. Why? Why do we need to hold on to our sin? Why do we need to own our sin? Because the truth is, if we don't own it, we're never going to step into that place of freedom and joy that Christ promised us in the cross. We'll never fully experience it. We have to own it. So I brought this wheelbarrow today, and hopefully this works with no feedback we're about to see. But these are my sins. These are the things of my life. These are the things that I know that I'm guilty of, right? Things I know that I've done. I'm a cheat. Definitely a liar. I'm lustful. It happens. I don't want it to, but it happens. Maybe it's a car or maybe it's anything, you know, but those lustful desires of my flesh, it happens. Covetous. Man, my neighbors have got some really cool toys. I'd really like to have them, you know. Or they've got a great relationship. I wish my relationship was like theirs, and I'm mad it's not. It's my wife's fault that it's not. If she would just get better, maybe our relationship would look like our neighbors, right? Addiction. If any of you know me, you know this one. I'm an idolater. If I'm not careful, I will put something before God quickly. I will place something in the way of God. It happens, right? I've done it. I'm selfish. That speaks for itself. That one hurts a little, but it's the truth. That's why it hurts a little, because I'm prideful. I'm a doubter, and because I'm a doubter, I'm controlling, because I want to make sure it goes the way I need it to, God. I want it to end the way I need it to. I need my results over yours. I'm insecure. And because I'm insecure, I'm fearful. And I could go on and on and on. I could. I could fill up this wheelbarrow. But Blake's going to come help me. Blake, if you will, will you grab my wheelbarrow of sin? And will you just kind of walk it around a little bit and then bring it back for me? And so in this moment, Blake's carrying my sin for me, right? And that's a good thing. I mean, it's really nice. Look at the weight. Look at all of those bricks. I'm a horrible person. Look at that. 
I've got bricks after brick after brick, and he's carrying it for me. He's carrying the load, the weight of my sin. He has it in that wheelboard. Isn't that a nice thing? Isn't that such a good thing that Blake's doing for me right now? Man, how incredible. I might even tell people about what Blake did for me, right? Because he did something good for me. He carried something so I didn't have to, right? But how can I ever fully appreciate what Blake just did for me if I don't lift this weight myself? If I don't walk around and carry it a little bit, I'm never really gonna know what Blake did. How can I ever fully appreciate what Blake just did for me? But isn't that how we deal with Christ? Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what Paul is trying to lead us away from? Don't be afraid to own your sin. Don't be afraid to call it what it is. Don't be afraid to take hold of it, to sit there and just be transparent before God because he knows anyways. Own it. Why? Because it's the biggest step to freedom. It's the biggest step to freedom. I was arrested and taken to jail for drugs and possession of a controlled substance. When I got out, and my parents are here, you can ask them, they said that I looked different the second I walked out of jail and got in the car, that my shoulders, my face, I was smiling, which is weird because I just got out of jail and I was on my way to a rehab to be away from my family for six months. But yeah, they, they said they could see something. It was different. I didn't have to lie anymore. I didn't have to pretend I was something I wasn't. I could just finally say before everybody, I'm a drug addict. I'm not proud of it. It's not great. There's pain. It hurts. But whoo, what freedom to finally say it out loud. What freedom to finally just pronounce to the world, hey, don't expect much because I'm a drug addict. Because if not, if you think I'm anything other than that, I'm going to let you down. But there was a freedom. There was a freedom I never realized. And it changed me to the depths of, of all that I am. It changes everything. It's the same way with us and our sin before God. And it's what Paul's trying to lead us into. Is that if we own our sin, if we're transparent before God and just go, I am a sinner. And these are my sins. Not that I'm just a big sinner, but that I, these are my sins. I'm an idolater. I'm fearful. I doubt who you are. I doubt who I am. I don't know who I am in you. Anxiety and depression riddles everything about me. I'm lustful. I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing that people shouldn't know about, and I'm stuck and I'm trapped in it. When I can just stand transparent before God, vulnerable before God, and go, these are my specific sins. I own them. They're mine. And I can rest. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about what God's thinking. He knows already anyways. Even if I'm not in a relationship with him, I can still come before him. I can still lay this out before him. Luke 19.10 says, the son of man came to seek and save which was lost. I was lost, but he found me. He found me in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything that's in that wheelbarrow. He found me right where I was. And he didn't say, I need you to get better. He didn't say, I need you to tweak this. I need you to do a little more. He said, I see you right where you are. 
and I came to find you. Because the will of my Father is that I would not lose even one. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's okay. It's okay to be simple. It's okay to be a sinner because Christ died for that very thing so that we could be in relationship with God. We don't have to be something that we're not. We don't have to pretend anymore. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. The blood of my Savior has covered all of that. I don't have to worry about what people think. I don't have to worry about what someone's thinking of me right now, even in this moment, because the Savior bled for that. What you think about it doesn't matter. I don't have to worry. I can be transparent about that. There's pain in that bucket. Trust me. There's pain in that bucket. But let me tell you what else is in there. Restoration. Because God restores. There's love in the middle of that. There's relationship like I've never experienced. There's freedom because the blood of Jesus has washed every bit of it away. And that changes everything for me. It changes who I am. It changes everything about the way I view people. Luke 18, 10 through 14, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. What Christ did for me humbled me. I found freedom and joy like I've never seen when I met Christ in the middle of all that. It created a humbleness that transforms everything. Everything about how I deal with people. Everything about how I deal with my wife. It helps in every relationship I have because I know what I've been forgiven of. I know it's going to be hard to believe, but my wife and I fight sometimes. And there are times where I want to stay angry, and I want to stay mad, and I want to just hold a grudge, and I just want to go, God, you got to give me this one because I earned it. I'm never right, and I'm right this time. Give it to me, please. And God has this sweet way of whispering to me in every situation I'm in now. And it's great, but it's not always fun. And he says, yeah, but what have I forgiven you of? Okay. And so when I deal with other people and I'm, I'm dealing with people and I'm pouring into them and maybe they catch on, maybe they don't, maybe they love what I'm saying, maybe they reject what I'm saying, whatever. It stops the way I interact with people from me judging. How could I judge someone? Because in the back of my mind goes, yeah, but what have I forgiven you of? Owning my sin matters. Owning my sin helps. Because how can I judge another when I know, look at that. Look at that wheelbarrow. Look at what it's full of. How will I ever judge another person for what they do? 
It helps me when I want to be lazy. Because sometimes I'm just tired. Sometimes I just want to rest. Sometimes I just don't want to call. I don't want to talk to someone. I don't want to pour out. I don't want to tell somebody about Jesus. Sometimes I just want it to be about me, and I hear it. But what have I forgiven you of? And that reminder, that sweet whisper in my ear forces me to go, okay, let's go, God. Where do you need me to go? What do you need me to say? What do you need me to do? Because I'm reminded of what I've been set free of. Because I know who I was. I know what I am. But I also know what I am now because of Christ. And it helps me when I doubt. Because I doubt who I am. I doubt those things. But then I hear God, yeah, but what have I forgiven you of? And then when I sin again, because I do and I have and I will, it keeps me from that condemnation that always creeps in on us, doesn't it? That cripples us because that's that trick of the enemy to remind you you're not who you think you are. You're not capable of what, you, what God says you are. You'll never be what God said you were. Maybe he did it for everyone else, but maybe he just didn't do it for you, right? And I hear that whisper, what have I forgiven you? I know what the blood of Christ bought me. I know the freedom. I see the restoration. I see what God's doing, and I want him to always remind me of that. I want him to always be there in those moments to just sweetly whisper in my ear. I heard a wise man say, you know why God talks to you most in whispers? Because you have to be close to whisper, and he wants you to know he's right here. And so when God whispers that, I love it. I love it because condemnation will creep in. It does. Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Perfect forever. I'm not done being a sinner, but I am made perfect in the eyes of God by the blood of Jesus. And so it humbles me. It gives me that fire. It gives me that drive. It pushes me to be what Christ has called me to be because I know what I was and I know what he wants me to be. And so I can rest assured in the power of that. I can rest assured in an empty tomb that proves the price that was paid for me was acceptable to God because there's power in an empty tomb. He came out of the tomb, which means I am free. Death has no power over me. The grave has no power over me. Man has no power over me. I'm free in Jesus Christ because I know what I was. And now look at what he's doing. Look at what he wants to do with us. Look at what Paul said. To be an example of his immense patience for those who would believe and receive eternal life. It's what he's called us into. It's what he's called you and I into. The other thing owning my sin does is it means I can give it away. Because if I don't own something, I can't give it away. And now I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. People give stuff away that's not theirs all the time. Yeah, it's called distribution of stolen property. If it's over $500, it's a felony. Don't do it. Make sure it's $4.99 or less, and then you just get a misdemeanor. You get a slap on the wrist, and the judge send you out but it's distribution of stolen goods because it's not mine. I don't own it. I can't give it to God because I don't own it. I can't give you something that's not mine. But yet we do that, don't we? 
We want to hold on to it. We want to grip it with all it is. We want that condemnation. We need that condemnation to settle us because somehow or another, that condemnation levels the playing field. Right? Man, my heart is heavier than everybody else because of what I struggle with. Like that levels the playing field out somehow or another. That condemnation I feel. I'll never be what God has called me to be, so why even try? That is a trick of the enemy. That's where he wants you to be. He wants you to tell yourself that. He wants you to tell yourself you'll never be free. He wants you to tell yourself that that thing is going to lord over you forever. But that's not what you're blood bought. You are blood bought with the blood of God. How precious is that blood that wipes away the sin? We have been bought for by the highest price so that we could be an example to this world of God's immense patience with sinners so that they'll know hope, so that the chains will be broken of condemnation, that the captivity that we walk in, just beating ourselves up every day. Some of us won't even look in a mirror for too long. Do you think that's God? how, how God sees us? The way you're looking in a mirror and having to look down? That's not what God has for us. That's not what God has given us. Here's the news, you're a sinner. But praise God, you have a sin problem? He gave us a sin answer. We have the blood of Jesus that washes away all sins so that we can be right before God, so that we can be in relationship with God, so we can be walking with the one who created us, so that like Adam and Eve, we could be vulnerable and naked before him and not have to worry about guilt and shame. Imagine the relationship they had when there was no guilt and shame and they stood before God vulnerable and naked and there was, it wasn't even vulnerable because it didn't matter. There was no vulnerability in that because they were just present before God. Guilt and shame had never come into the world. God wants to set us free of that. He wants to set us free from all of this that the enemy just continues to try to beat us down with. We just have to own it. And if you're a sinner, welcome to the party. From my mother's womb, I was born into iniquity, right? All of us. You're born into it. You didn't acquire it. You didn't become some next level sinner on your own. You were born into it. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Quit trying to level the playing field with condemnation. Quit trying to level the playing field with beating yourself up with guilt and shame as if if God sees that guilt that you have for yourself, maybe he'll show mercy on you. Maybe he'll show pity on you. Maybe he will just love you because you beat yourself up so bad every night. But that's not what he wants for you. He wants you to walk in freedom. Free from that which holds you. Free from that which keeps us captive. He wants us to just live, wake up in the morning rejoicing because we are guilt-free. Waking up in the morning and just knowing there's no guilt and shame. Or even better than this, being able to go to sleep at night and not being haunted by those things that the enemy likes to just beat us up with not being able to go to sleep, not being able to lay your head down and just hit the pillow. One of the sweetest things that happened, I'll fall asleep on you in a heartbeat if we lay down. I'm not haunted anymore. I'm free. 
What a sweet feeling God has for us when we're set free from those things that we keep holding on to. What a sweet feeling to lay your head down and just go to sleep. What an incredible feeling. We got to let it go. Because in the way, isn't that pride and control anyways? We got to learn to lay it down. Paul is calling us, own it so you can give it to him. That's the point. That's the point, Timothy. Own it so you can give it to Christ so that the gospel message stands true. It shouts true from your heart because you've owned it and you gave everything to God. And therefore, you can be transparent about the gospel message. And people will see and they will have hope. They won't have to beat themselves up. They won't think, yeah, but I went farther than that. Yeah, I went darker than that. Yeah, I went deeper than that. So that the world will see the immense patience that God has for us and for those who will believe and receive eternal life. What a freedom. Y'all know this one. Everybody loves this on a T-shirt everywhere. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Christ wants for us. That's what God wants for us, to walk in freedom, to not be bound up by bricks of sin that just weigh us down every night. To walk, to just pronounce to the world, I'm free in Christ because I was bought for a price and an empty tomb proves it. I'm set free by the blood of Jesus. I'm no, there's no longer any captivity for me. There are no chains. Addiction has no chains, no hold on me. Pornography has no hold on me. Lust has no hold on me. Lying, cheating, all of the things that I do, they have no hold on me because I'm free in Christ. I've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus cleanses it all. And I take his yoke. For it's easy and the burden is light. It's walking in freedom. And we don't have to worry about if that's for us or maybe it doesn't work or maybe that's just not for me or maybe there's someone else because there are three words in the Bible that prove it. It is finished. That means nothing you're ever going to do or nothing you're ever not going to do is going to justify you anymore before God. No amount of condemnation you heap upon yourself is going to make you more in the eyes of God. It's finished. It's finished. So how are we today? How are we in this place? Did you walk in with freedom? Did you walk in with an easy load? No burden, no yoke, just the freedom in Christ. Or are we holding on to something? Are we holding on to those things we need to condemn ourselves and make ourselves feel better about what's going on? We got an addiction. Some of you may be familiar with the 12 steps. There's three steps that started out. And I'm just gonna paraphrase for you real quick just so we can get through them. But if you don't do those three steps, every step after that, doesn't matter. Everything is built on those first three steps. The first one is acknowledging you have a problem. My life has become unmanageable. You have to admit it, that there is a problem. You have to recognize that I have a problem. And we do, we have a sin problem. 
John Piper says, long before sin is a consequence to us, it's a dishonor to God. That's a problem. The second step is we have to be aware that there's a God that can take that problem for us. We have to acknowledge that he's capable, that his will is greater than our will, that we would be willing to give this to him if he doesn't exist, if we don't believe in it, if we don't believe that he can do it, how are we ever going to do step three, which is give it to him? Give it to him. I know I have a problem. I know he's capable. Now I got to give it to him. And if I don't do that, every other step is pointless. It won't work. So is that you today? Did you come into this place burdened? Did you come into this place hopeless, desperate? Is this the last ditch effort of something in your life being good? Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this message. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. But I wanna tell you now the truth of the gospel message that when we own our sin, regardless of what they are, no matter how deep, how dark, how filthy, it doesn't matter. When we acknowledge that we're a sinner and that we're in need of the one who can wipe away our sin for us, the Bible promises that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he led a perfect life. He was abandoned by those around him. He was put up on a cross, he was beaten, he was ravaged, he was humiliated. He had the thing that was owed to me that that wheelbarrow earned me, he had that poured upon him on a cross. And the Bible says, he said it was finished, but the spirit left. It was, it was completed, it was final, and he was placed in a tomb, and in three days, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven after being seen by many, many people, after being seen by even 500 people at one time. And he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And one day Jesus Christ will come again for those who believe and call out his name as Lord and Savior. For those that believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That there's coming a day where we will see our King. And in the meantime of that, we can walk in freedom because we're blood bought. That the ransom that needed to be paid for our sins was paid on a cross. And if this is the first time you've ever heard this, if this is the first time you've ever heard this and you feel like there's something that you need to do, we wanna give you that chance to respond this morning. If you have never been in the place where you have had the opportunity or maybe you've been fighting it off as you come in here, maybe you've just been going next Sunday, next Sunday, next Sunday, why not today? If today is the day of salvation for you, if today is the day of freedom, of hope, we're gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a second. And I want you to know something because I know your heart starts racing because you're worried about what people think. You're worried about what, what everyone's gonna know. You're in good company. We all already know. God already knows. You're in good company with that. But as your heart's racing, I want you to know this place is gonna erupt in celebration. Not only is this place gonna erupt in celebration, but the Bible says heaven erupts in celebration. There's gonna be such a party when you raise your hand because you went from death to life. And I'm praying, I'm praying. I hope that the day is the day. So if that's you, will you just raise your hand? Someone's gonna come pray with you. Someone's gonna come talk with you about it. You don't have to have all the answers or know what's gonna happen. But if that's you today, if salvation is today, Will you just raise your hand? 
Amen. Then for the rest of us, just work with me real quick. Close your eyes. And I want you to just kind of think in your mind of you holding that brick. Maybe it's a brick, maybe it's two bricks, maybe it's three bricks, maybe it's a boatload of bricks. And I want you to see you holding those bricks before you. And then I want you to see the face of Jesus. But this time, I don't want you to see it the way you always see it, a face of disappointment, a face of rejection, a face of condemnation, a face of him looking down on you as if you should have done something better. But as you hold those bricks that are your sin, as you own those sins before God, I want you to see him the way he really is. I want you to see his smiling face, the tears in his eyes, because he knows there's gonna be freedom. The joy in his heart, the joy on his face as he looks at the one that's pouring himself out before him the one that he died for, the one that he bled for, as you give him those sins that his blood shed for, we're gonna feel the weight lifted. You can open your eyes. These next few moments are for you. This altar is open. This is the place where we meet God. This is the place where we bring those bricks and we lay the weight of that sin at the foot of the cross and we get up in freedom. But don't you dare pick that brick back up. That's God's, that's Christ. Christ bought that brick for a price. Don't pick it back up. If you bring it up here, you leave it here because you're free in Christ. You are blood bought with a price and it matters. It matters so that the world can see God's immense patience for sinners for those who will believe and receive eternal life. This is your time. Don't take those bricks home. Leave them right here. And let's walk home in freedom. Let freedom be the shout of this place today. In the name of Jesus. God bless you.